Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. First, thank, thank you to Dave and, and Matt for inviting me to speak. So if it goes really poorly, it's Dave and Matt's fault. Yeah. You know, I'm just really thankful for Karam. I know you guys don't know too much about me, or some of you guys do, but I moved here, what, two years ago now, I think? And the last two years, I'll say, have been this beautiful, really difficult mesh of just life. It's messy, right? For the last two years, it's been really hard. I was angry at the Lord for a lot of it, just questioning Him just asking him what is so good about your good news, about your gospel. Questioned him for all the difficult things that I was going through, and yet at the same time praising him because beautiful things like I got married just a few months ago, right? So shout out Casey. Can we all just maybe turn and look at Casey and then also just say thank you for showing up on time. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Casey. And so this beautiful tension, right, of life is, and I know that's the story for all of us. I think that's the beautiful thing about our stories is that it's mixed with really beautiful stuff and really hard stuff. But I'll just be honest, the last two years were really hard. I left the ministry that I was so, I thought I would, I thought I would, you know, stay and live in Hawaii forever. I thought I would never leave that ministry. I thought I'd buy my first home, have my first little Grom kids running around, you know, barefoot in the sand, spearfishing, hunting with me. You know, I thought that was going to be my life. And so abruptly, right, also with COVID, you know, the pandemic, not only that, but my close black and brown friends are mourning because these tragic horrible things are happening, such as George Floyd, Ahmad Arbery. Not only that, but me, as you can tell, I am Korean or Asian, okay? But so many of my Asian friends and family are terrified because everywhere they go, they're afraid that they're, they might get beat up, you know? And the Asian community is really small. We're only one or two degrees separated. So half of these people that you're seeing online getting beat up or kicked to the curb, like that's not just some stranger I'll never meet. That's only one or two people removed, right? And so we're going through all this stuff and through the midst of this, I'm asking the Lord, God, where are you? Right? Like you say that you're good. You say that Your gospel, your son came to save us, but save us from what? Just my soul going to heaven? Right? Like that. So just because I'm Asian, I'm going to get beat up for supposedly bringing COVID here. But don't worry, I'll pray for you and you get to go to heaven. I don't think that's very good news at all, right? So I'm wrestling through all this stuff. And all that to say, I'll bring it back. The reason why I'm thankful is the last two years as I've been a part of Karam Deo, I've just, this place has been a safe place for me. You know, you guys have opened up your arms. Thank you for the hugs, Beal. I'm just joking. He doesn't hug me. But no, this place has been a place where I get to wrestle with the Lord. It's a place where I get to be angry at God and and not be ashamed of it, right? And um, so I'm very grateful. And I will say this, 
wrestling with God is our inheritance, guys. Israel, to wrestle with God. That's who we are. That's where we come from. And that is the beauty of this relationship with the Lord. So all that to say, that is not what directly I'm preaching about. But I am going to be preaching out of Amos today in honor of Black History Month. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. so beautifully preached out of Amos, right? And, and maybe even before I go into the sermon, I just want to say like for our church, for not just this church, but the church, the global church, the American church, like guys like the black church has led us in bringing good news to the poor, bringing good news to the brokenhearted. It has an answer. It has a wrestle for good news for us as human bodies, not just souls. And so, yeah, just I'm going to try my best in honor of that to preach. But the prophets are probably some of the most difficult passages to read and understand. So thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it. (laughs) To get into the prophets... I think we need to first understand what is the function of the prophets. And I will say it's twofold. It was to bring critique and hope to the nation of Israel. Okay? I think so often we think of the prophets and we're like, oh, these people who see the future, you know? And they're going to tell us all of these things about the future. But in fact, less than 2% of the Old Testament prophecy is messianic. Right? So talking about Jesus or the Messiah. Less than 5% specifically describes the New Covenant age. And less than 1% concerns events that have yet to come in our time. So I think we kind of get it wrong when we think about the prophets. We think of these people who just see into the future and are telling us what to do. But in fact, the two parts where they were to critique and bring hope to the nation of Israel. Okay, so the majority of the prophets are filled with these random people that God somehow chose. Amos was a a shepherd, a little farmer, low class, didn't have much success in in life, but God chose him to speak to both nations, north and south of Israel, to say, hey, y'all are really messing up. You know, all the covenant that God told you to do and this beautiful kingdom that God has asked you to build, it doesn't look like what you guys said you guys were going to do. So either you fix it or these other nations around are going to come and destroy everything. So only less than 2% is about Jesus coming. And so to even understand the prophets, again, is then you have to understand the Old Testament, the whole law. And so to do that in 30 minutes is a really hard job. So I'm going to try. Let me paint a little bit of a picture of the Old Testament and where the prophets come in. As you guys know, the Israelites, they flee out of Egypt and they go into this new land. First, they were in the desert for a long time, but God is giving them this covenant, this law, right? And the law is filled with I mean, the the most basic thing that I think we all understand is we worship one and only God and have no other idols before me. We think of the Ten Commandments. But the majority of the law was filled with societal systems of how do we make this place a beautiful kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the law was filled about. And so you come into this place, the leaders are 
you know, like Moses, Aaron, and all these guys are making these crazy laws. Like, for example, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is a time where all debts, all everything that people owed was just completely forgiven, right? Like, how insane is that for an entire nation to go, actually, we're going to forgive all of this stuff. And the crazy part that I think about is that God did not dream or make this law to go, no one's going to struggle in life, right? Or he's going to make this perfect community where everyone is doing good. No, he actually recognized that people are going to struggle. People are going to get into debt. People are going to make dumb choices. But we're going to have a way to bring them back into the fold. We're going to have a way to bring them back into the community. And so imagine you have this plot of land and your crops weren't doing good. You don't have enough income to support your family, to feed your kids, and then boom, you have to go into debt. And imagine this crazy a snowball effect of like, man, I'm in debt, I can't get out of debt, I gotta sell myself into slavery, and I don't know if you guys have been in credit card debt or whatnot, I have, it is debilitating, right? Like you don't know how to get out of it. And God brings a way to go, hey, that's not going to be your life anymore, right? He has a way, another one. He has a, a gleaning laws. This is beautiful too for the, the, the poor, the immigrant, the foreigner. Rather than, hey, I don't have all this stuff and I don't have this money to buy everything. But when I go through the harvest, I can't harvest every single thing. I'm going to have to leave some of it so that the rest of the community can come and be a part of this harvest. The entire nation of Israel was supposed to be this beautiful country that was a model for every other nation around it. It was supposed to be a welcoming place, a place of shalom, a place of peace with God. And it's not just, hey, peace be unto you, but it's, but it's more of this, with everything you are and everything God is, like, would you be at one with Him? That's shalom. Would you be at peace with your neighbor? Would you be at peace with God? And these things like Jubilee Law or Gleaning Laws were this beautiful way that God implemented into society to go, hey, yes, these are the Ten Commandments, but in everything else that you do, would this community represent the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? Right? So immigration. All these other countries. Why does God talk about it? Because this beautiful country, everyone's going to want to move to it. You know, and fun fact, actually, there is no evidence or no proof that the year of Jubilee was ever enacted in Israel. That's just a little image of what Israel's like, right? God makes this beautiful law, this covenant with all of his people to go, this is the kingdom that I want you guys to invite all these people into to be a model. And yet what happens? Like many nations, like our own nation, like humans, we're broken, and we go, man, this beautiful idea, this beautiful nation, we have to protect it. So maybe all these other countries that have these other gods and other ideals, instead of letting them in, we're actually going to put up walls and borders and laws so that we can't actually invite them in. And so this idea, this beautiful idea turns a little south, okay, just because people are broken. And so, did people get in debt? Yes. Was there a way for them to get out of debt? Well, God set it up, but it was never enacted. 
And so God even puts in the covenant laws pertaining to how much cattle and how much horses that we can have. Super strange. Why? Because horses were known for war. They were known for militaries. And so God wanted to prevent that. He doesn't want this nation to become this huge military power. But we see in the Old Testament that David and Solomon have this crazy huge army. And how did they get it? Well, they taxed everybody. They tax the poor, and the poor then get in insurmountable debt. And then instead of giving the way out of debt, well, we're going to tax you more. And so then you have this socioeconomic divide happening in Israel where the wealthy, the royalty, they're getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier, and the poor, well, they're becoming more and more poor, more and more desperate. And this beautiful idea of what the kingdom of God in Israel would look like becomes just an idea. Some people are looking at Israel and being like, wow, look at this great nation that we have. We see in the prophets, we have the temple. We're this powerful nation. And God literally comes and goes, I don't care about your worship. Where is justice? And he's literally talking about how is it that there's people in your nation that are suffering. I gave you a way to follow this law and yet you're worshiping other gods, you're taxing the poor, and there's this huge divide between people. So that's this picture of Israel, okay? It's kind of fun. If you get really nerdy, you can get into like, I'm in seminary right now, so you learn about all these like archaeological digs, and I fall asleep in those classes every day. But one cool thing is you look at these archaeological digs, and then you actually see this play out. You see two, three-story mansions where people are living lavish. And right across town, you have one bedroom, one studio little deal where families are filled in. And God is then sending his prophet, and this is where the prophets come in. The prophets come in to critique Israel. How are you guys failing in all of these ways? How is it that some of you are living in three-story mansions and you have silos and silos and silos of grain that you'll never go hungry and then the rest of Israel is living day to day? And so the prophet comes in and he challenges that. He goes, this is not who God is. This is not who the kingdom, it's not what the kingdom is supposed to look like. And so that is the point of the prophet, okay? So with all that said, let's turn to Amos. You go to Amos 5. We're going to read 18 through 27. Amos is after Hosea, which is after Daniel. I had to look at the front of the Bible to get it, so it's okay if you don't know where it is. Amos 5, 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and, le- and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. 
Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We're just going to stop there. So a little bit about Amos. He's this shepherd, farmer guy. And just like all the other prophets, God picks him, chooses him to be a voice to all of or Some prophets are just for the northern kingdom and some are for the southern kingdom. And at the time, if you guys look at the beginning of Amos, he is in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Historically speaking, Israel was at a profitable time. They were doing very well. They had all these partnerships with all these other foreign nations and their society is doing good, or so they thought. And the prophets are sometimes a little difficult to read because it's filled with poetry, which is essentially dramatic language, okay? And so one of the uses of poetry was so that the, the hearers of this, it would be easier for them to remember. And as they're listening to it, it might, I guess, connect to a covenant that they had with God or connect to a previous prophet or whatever it was. It jogged their memory to go, oh yeah, the day of the Lord is coming and they're excited and then boom, Amos goes, actually, why do you guys want this? It's a bear. It's going to kill you. And it's dramatic to kind of shock and awe Israel to go, okay, am I actually obeying the covenant, obeying the law, which is the societal laws, right? And so it can get a little confusing and I won't get into how do you read poetry and all that kind of stuff. You can get that in a commentary because I'm not very good at it. But you read this and Amos is speaking to a very profitable nation where they're doing a good job. And like I said earlier, the reason why this happens is through taxation. The reason this happens is through war. And uh, the people of Israel at this time are have, giving sacrifices to God. They think they're doing this awesome job. We have this beautiful temple. We're making all this money. And the reason why we're blessed is because God has blessed us. So let's worship Him. But in fact, Amos comes and goes, right, in verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Then God is hoping that the people would recognize that although you may have all this stuff, the manifest presence of God is not found in this community because you're not taking care of the poor, because you're not enacting justice to those who need justice. And the visible way that we saw Israel was obeying God was how they took care of their communities. And so when I read this, and I read the prophets, it's a little difficult to go, okay, how does this apply to me? Because this was not written to America. This was not written to me. And so it's not like I can just read it and it directly applies. But... How I do this is how do I recognize God's gospel? How do I recognize God's character, his nature in these places? And what I see here is a God that cares for the oppressed, is a God that doesn't care about the fancy church ministries 
the fancy events, the you're wearing the beautiful gowns to church, or how much money do you tithe, or whatever it may be. God cares how do you enact kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason why this is important, the reason why the prophet is important, is because Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophet. Jesus was the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, right? So in order to recognize who Jesus is and, and how he actually saves us as a people is to see that the law, he fulfilled it by being holy and blameless. He fulfilled this, the kings, right? And the promise to David that he will have an eternal kingdom by being that eternal king. But Jesus fulfills that by going, actually, I'm going to be your eternal king, but not by war, not by destroying all my enemies, but becoming a lamb to the slaughter. That is my eternal kingdom, that I will lay my life down so that all nations, all people, foreign, evil, whatever it is, that everyone has access to this beautiful kingdom of God. And he fulfills the prophet by coming and critiquing all of Israel at the time, saying to the Pharisee, to the Sadducees, like, you guys got it all wrong. That's not who I am. And then he goes, but actually in all of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak, by meeting the ones who are suffering, by meeting the ones who desperately need him the most, right? God did not come to save the healthy, he came to save the sick. And so Jesus was this fulfillment of the prophet. And so if we as a community want to be like Jesus, well, we need to be like the prophet in its function. Maybe not in everything that they, the prophets do, as you read in the other prophets. You guys got people who are stripping down naked and wailing and running down the streets, and it's crazy. There are a bunch of weirdos in the Bible. But in its function, to bring critique and to hope, and so how do we embody this as a community today in 2022 in Denver? And as I was praying and preparing uh, for this, I just felt God told me to be honest and really vulnerable with you guys and share parts of my story. But I shared earlier in 2020 with all this Asian violence going around. To this day, guys, every week I still get texts from maybe one, sometimes upwards of two, three, four of my Asian friends, specifically women that are still scared to walk the streets. A lot of them are in New York or whether it be California, but the stuff that is going on for our communities is difficult and it's painful and it's really scary, right? Because today is February 20th, February 20th, 1942, President Roosevelt signed uh, into law and rounded up 200,000 Japanese immigrants and put them into concentration camps because they might be a part of the enemy's country. But these are Japanese that were born and raised in America and 200,000 all around the U.S. were rounded up, put in concentration camps. Some of those people are still alive today. And those people that are alive today, still, once they go online and once they talk to their communities, are still seeing Asian Americans getting beat, harassed, killed on the street. Where is justice for these people? 
I don't share this. I don't share that for you guys to feel bad. It's not for you guys to go, oh, I don't have Asian American friends texting me. I, I just share it because it's my story, you know? And like all of you guys, we all have difficult stuff that is going on. Some people have it worse than others. They're suffering in all, that is a part of life. But I share it because I think God wants us to hear one another's stories and actually weep with them to ask the question, what is good news for my friends? I sat down with a really good friend of mine this week and just heard his story over the last couple years. And it broke my heart. One, because I didn't know. And two, because, man, my, one of my best friends is going through really hard stuff. And so as a community, are we inviting one another to share our suffering? Or are we so caught up in our own problems and then we just go to church and we worship God and we go, hey, everything's going to be okay. I think God would say through Amos, I don't care about your assemblies. I don't care about your worship. I don't care about all these good things that you did for me. Did you sit with the broken? Did you hear their pain? And so I'm just going to end with another story and then we'll be done. I didn't mean to preach on half of this stuff, so thanks guys for listening. I'm going to share about a time that I lived in Hawaii for about 14 years, on and off, right? And a little history of Hawaii. About 203 years ago now, the first white missionaries came onto the shores of Hawaii. And before this had happened, there was Hawaiian prophets, religion, their, their own priests and whatnot. They talked about this time that a little black box would come onto the shores of Hawaii, and in that black box would be something that would change the nation forever. And so 203 years ago, I think, in March, 204 years ago in March, the first missionaries came and they brought this black box onto the shores of Hawaii. And in that black box was a Bible. And I'll fast forward, revival broke out. At that time, 200 plus years ago, the largest church in all of the world was in Hilo, Big Island, Hawaii. And it was a beautiful time. The Hawaiians are living with all of these foreigners. They're teaching them their culture. They're inviting them to their homes. And the kingdom of God is being spread throughout the entire land. But again, people are broken, right? There's sin in this world. So the grandkids of these missionaries that came, as they grew up, they partnered with foreign powers and they made all of these laws in paper, which of course Hawaiians didn't have laws on paper, they did it orally, but they made all these fake new laws that the Hawaiians didn't agree to, and underneath them, they stole all of their land, they outlawed their language, they outlawed their hula, their culture, and it was the grandchildren of the missionaries that took everything away from the Hawaiians. That's the history of Hawaii. So then fast forward 100 years, this has been going on for multiple years, but the, lar the tallest mountain 
in Hawaii is called Mauna Kea. And there's already a few telescopes on there, but of course, whether it's these big corporations or corrupt governors and that I won't go into, but they want to build this giant 30 meter telescope on top of Mauna Kea. And that would actually destroy part of their natural resources. It would, environmentally speaking, be not very good for the state of Hawaii. And not only that, but it is another reminder of the foreigner or this outside power coming in and taking something that isn't theirs. Okay, so they made this stand. They said, no more. 200 years of America or Great Britain stealing everything that we have access to and the number one, uh, the number one group of poverty in Hawaii is indigenous Hawaiians. So the land that they lived on, the, the shores that they fished, the homes that they had are now filled with huge resorts. Do they get any of that? No, they don't. And so finally, on this last stand, they're like, okay, you know what? We've been facing this for 200 years and we're going to make a stand on Mauna Kea. So what they did was they decided to do this peaceful protest and they got all their kapuna elders to come and chain themselves to the cattle guards. And you have these 80, 90 year old grandma, grandpas, a part of the community that chain themselves because their entire lives they have seen other people live the land that they were supposed to live on. The fish that they ate is now no more. It's non-existent in Hawaii because these large corporations are coming and fishing everything out. They used to be fully self-sustainable as a nation. They didn't need import or export. And now the island of Hawaii cannot go more than 10 days without outside imports. Right? They, as a people, as a group, have nothing. And so, out of their pain and desperation for their ancestral lands, they chain themselves to these cattle guards. And of course, the governor comes in and he sends in all the police and flies in, not just the state police or that one island police, but flies in other police from the mainland to take care of this problem. And the really evil thing that he did was he didn't take the Filipino, you know, descendant police officers. He didn't take the white police officers. He didn't take the Asian police officers. He took the Hawaiian, the indigenous Hawaiian police officers and said, if you do not take care of this, you do not have jobs. And so then you had dozens and dozens of indigenous Hawaiians arresting their own grandpas and grandmas. The pain that it caused you can see it online where grandma and grandpa and police officers are weeping. But it's peaceful. They're not fighting back. They understand that they're just trying to take care of their families. But they do this. And, you know, I don't know if you guys saw on the news, but it became national or not even just national, but it was on the news for all around the world. It was Protect Mauna Kea. I had the privilege of going up there maybe 10, 12 times in a matter of three weeks. And I'll be honest with you guys, when I went up, the, the church communities and this ministry that I was working with, they told me that me going up there was not of the Lord. 
They told me that I could not represent God or I could not represent my ministry. I couldn't represent the church. But if I went up there, that what I was doing is not of the Lord. And they told me all these things of, you know, they're protecting this mountain because it's sacred for their own God or the church shouldn't actually get involved with, you know, political matters. But I'll tell you this, that when I was up there, all that I experienced was that God is with the broken. It, it, I don't, God did not care. And again, this is my opinion, okay? And this is my perspective. But God did not care that they were worshiping some other God. He saw that they were broken, that they were suffering, that generation after generation, things have been robbed from them and God wanted to be with them. Not to build this kingdom out of force, not like this Old Testament David coming in and killing and destroying all these other countries, but rather an invitation to the good news of the kingdom of God. And we see this, that Jesus says that if you feed the poor, clothe the naked, you do this unto me. And for probably six months, there was around 3,000 people on that mountain. And one of the main things, the greetings of Hawaiians, is to put forehead to forehead, nose to nose, and they share breath together. Okay, you can call that breath aloha. Aloha is known as hello, goodbye, love, but it is much more than that. I would say it's similar to this idea of shalom. But aloha actually means the breath or the spirit of God. And so as they share aloha one another, as they put forehead and forehead, nose to nose, weep together as they cry together and they see their elders of the community get arrested, they're mourning together. And they're broken together. And I had the privilege to go to all the elders that were there. And I got to put forehead to forehead, nose to nose with every single one of them. And with tears in their eyes and tears in mine, we're just weeping all at the same time. They say, thank you for standing with us. Thank you for, for being here in our brokenness. And I felt this immense privilege and honor because the church, right, this church that is supposed to be good news, well, it's a complicated relationship in Hawaii. They're the ones that stole everything from these Hawaiians. And yet, they would not go to the mountain. They told me that if I went, that it was wrong. But what I experienced was that as I sat with the broken, as I heard their stories, as I made their pain my pain, I felt the Lord come and meet me in that place. And he said, that place in this brokenness is holy. And so my hope and my prayer for our community, guys, is that we would sit with the broken. I don't need to get political. I don't need to tell you all of these things. We all have our own problems and sufferings in our own life. But there's so many injustices in the world. It is so easy for us to get tired of it. I'll tell you this though, God is not tired. God is not tired of the people that are in pain calling out to him. He is waiting for prophets. He is waiting for his church to stand against these injustices. 
and sit and mourn and cry and bear the weight of people suffering. You guys hearing me? Cool. I'm just going to pray for us and then Dave's going to close. But yeah, Father, I thank you that your gospel is good news for today. Not just for when we die, but rather today you have good news for us. You have salvation for us. And so for us as a community, as Karam Dale, would you, would you teach us to embody that good news? Would you teach us to invite other people into this beautiful kingdom you've called heaven? And would you give us strength to stand against injustice? In Jesus' name, amen. Good, Dave. So again, I think the invitation of sitting with people in pain is not, oh, let us come and help you. The invitation is one of mutuality to come and go, oh, let me be reminded of my mutual brother. It's good, bro. It's good. Right? It's not a, we're not coming to save the broken, right? That's what he did. He did that. We just are acknowledging that despite our season might be different, we too are broken. It's good, Dave. That's our gospel. And I would just ask us again, 
if not us as followers of Jesus, who can step into those places? So we're going to end by sharing in the bread and the wine. It's the body broken and the blood shed for you. It's the ritual reminder and remembrance for the body of Christ of our shared brokenness and our shared hope that the prophets spoke about 2% of the time. Y'all, just kind of invite us to the table. Father, we thank you. We thank you for fulfillment, and we thank you that you love us enough to continually invite us into maturity and growth. And I thank you for Justin's own life and embodiment of that impulse of the prophetic to call us back to righteousness, not just in our religious categories, but in all of life. Yeah, and so would we just step back into that shared narrative of recognizing our brokenness as we take the bread and the wine, and also a deep, deep commitment to the hope and promise of becoming a community of Jubilee in this life. And I just thank you that you can touch and move our hearts in many ways and crazy, joyful encounters with your presence, with the Holy Spirit, and also through the raw reality of our humanity. And so as we leave here tonight, I pray that you would actually renew our hearts with hope, that we actually are those who are equipped to walk with and in the midst of brokenness and pain. We do not have to fear it. We do not have to avoid it. We do not have to numb it. And I just pray over our community. I pray for both organic and practical ways to, to lean into these spaces, to get out of our ruts of the same relationships, expose ourselves to the stories of other people who maybe have had a far different life than us. And I pray that we'd find you, we'd find the hope of your gospel in those moments. Yes, we thank you for the prophets, Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.